Good morning, my name is Mark. I have the privilege of bringing the word to us this morning. As Taylor comes to uh, read the scripture passage for us, Antioch kids, you may be dismissed to go to your classes. Young disciples and international uh, friends, we have guides over there by the door uh, with a simple scripture outline if you want to take some notes for today. And again, it's Antioch, so about a third of the room went right out the door, but that's okay. A church with children has a future, amen? And children need adults working with them in order to have that future, amen? That's just a little plug for Antioch Kids Help. Well, if you are willing and able, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? It is found on page 873. In your pew Bible, if you'd like to open that, uh, you may use your device. A lot of people do that these days. And uh, take it away, Taylor. So, Luke 13, uh, starting in verse 22. He went on his way through the towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me. All you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves are cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south. And recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first. And some are first who will be last. Church, the Lord has spoken to us. Let's respond together. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Last week, Pastor Jason gave us a very detailed, vibrant, edge-of-the-seats look at the healing of the crippled woman in Luke chapter 13. Did anybody go home and, and start to think about all of the different things that must have been going on at that time? Uh, just an incredible... Even the medical community sat up and take notice. Wow, all these things that happened. And he reminded us that Jesus is Lord of his people, his power, and his promise. Isn't that good? What would it be if he was Lord of his people, but he was powerless? We belong to... It doesn't work that way. We believe in a king of kings and in a Lord of lords. And in our passage today, we want to consider the narrow door and who and what that represents. And we want to take a good hard look at those that will spend eternity. How long is eternity? Forever? How long is that? It's permanent. It's permanent. Eternity will last forever, has no end. And so the decisions that we make on this side of the narrow door have implications for all of the rest of eternity which will never end. Okay, So, 
we want to take a look at three things today about how Jesus is the narrow door and inside is a very big house. And I really wanted to get up here and do a little routine on big, big house, you know, in my father's house. Anybody know that song? We probably could stand and start clapping and getting it going, but that's probably all we would do. Jesus is the narrow door, and inside that narrow door is a very big house, and we want to ask two questions. This is a Baptist church with a two-point sermon today. Who will be in the kingdom, and who will not be in the kingdom? That kind of cuts to the core of what this whole passage is about. Young disciples, uh, it's not hard to fill in today. Jesus is the narrow door, and inside is a big big house. So let's start to work our way through this passage. The scriptures say, he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Toward Jerusalem. That had always been his journey. Jesus' whole entire life from the cradle to the cross was a journey toward Jerusalem. It's very likely that this particular journey that we're looking at today is a continuation of the journey that started all the way back in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. And we want to take a glance back at this from a couple different translations. So in the ESV, it says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. In the NIV, it says, And as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Can you picture someone who rises and begins on a journey and their face is fixed? What would it be like if the body of Christ on earth today, if we would rise up and we would be fixed on him and on where he is headed in these days and we were resolute in the journey that we are on following after Jesus as Jesus does his work on the earth? As the time approached... His gaze was fixed. As the time drew near, he was resolute. It was settled long before he got there. He had a clear goal, and there was nothing that was going to deter him from that goal. Now, let's briefly review a few of the things that have happened since Luke 9. I don't know when Antioch was in Luke 9, but it was a while ago. It was a lot of months ago. It was the other side of Genesis ago, right? But let's, let's remember a few of the things that happened on the journey from Luke 9 to Luke 13, just to, to get fixed on who this Jesus is that is setting out to Jerusalem. Let's see. It started out with when his disciples wanted to call down fire on a Samaritan village. I don't want you to raise your hands, but how many of you have ever been in a situation where you wished you could do that? Somebody at work, somebody in your home, somebody in the neighborhood, somebody on the waterson, And you would like to call down, my wife is laughing because that would have been me. God, you saw they cut across five lanes of traffic. Praise God that fire isn't called down because we would all have probably been vaporized by now by somebody else, right? They wanted to call down fire on a Samaritan village. Jesus made clear that there was a cost to following him. Jesus sent out the 72 disciples. And remember how that went? They went out. They were given authority to heal and cast out demons. And they came back and said, Oh my God, it happened. It it worked, Jesus. And he's like, Well, what did you expect? I sent you. 
when God sends, stuff happens. Amen? We have the parable of the Good Samaritan. We have his teaching on prayer where they, they came to him about this time. Their real stuff is happening. Uh, Jesus, I think maybe we, uh, we don't know how to pray. Will you teach us? We have his whole discourse on binding the strong man about how important it was to bind the strong man if you want to plunder the house. We have his teaching about the sign of Jonah, that no other sign would be given. We have six woes, and it's not like, whoa, it's like, whoa, and echoes, six of them. Then we have the story of the rich young fool. This guy was making money. How many people in today's world would, would get called a fool if they said to other people, just want to let you know I've got a bumper crop and I'm going to need to build some bigger barns and uh, invest in me or let me support your thing. Or, we would call those people the success stories and the heroes. And Jesus said, you're rich and you're a fool because you don't know where it came from. You don't know what to do with it. You don't know who is in charge of your life. You think you are. God thinks he should be. Then we have him teaching and preaching about do not worry. Is it interesting that that follows the rich young fool? Do not worry. Doesn't, doesn't God take care of the sparrows and the flowers of the field? And if he can do that, can't he take care of us? And Jesus is constantly plowing the ground of the hearts of his listeners to share with them what Father God is really like, what the true character of the Godhead is like. Then we have him talking about being watchful and interpreting the times. You know how to tell the weather. Well, we do sometimes. How many of you have ever gotten frustrated like me when you pull up on your weather app a forecast and then you walk outside and it's different than... Wait, wait a minute, cloud, didn't you read what the... You know? But we think we can forecast the weather, but we don't know how to interpret the times and the seasons and the movings of God. All of these things and much more took place on the same journey where we were told that the days drew near for him to be taken up. And after all these things that he did, all these things that he taught, now we step into this story where it becomes so incredibly painfully obvious the crowd still did not understand who Jesus was or why he came. In verse 23... It says, and someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Now, I wonder who this unidentified person was. This is, this is a brave person. There's a crowd. Jesus is talking. He's on his way. He's, facing, he's, he's headed for Jerusalem. And somebody in the crowd pipes up and says, Lord, will those who are saved be few? You think that maybe he just, he just blurted it out. He couldn't help himself. He had to ask a question. Or did his friends put him up to it? Have you ever done something because your friends put you up to it? I think we've probably all done that. Hey, I'll give you some extra food on Friday at mealtime if you just blurt this out to Jesus because I want to know, and and I'm gutless, but you, you don't know any better. You just blurt it out to the crowd. And God is so gracious that it's an unidentified person. Amen? I mean, who knows? Maybe the guy was just feeling brave. Why this question? What's the question behind the question? 
Well, I think the real question could be understood this way. Here's what, what's implied in this. Lord, um, it's still just us Jews who will be in your kingdom, right? I mean, you're not going to let others in like Samaritans, are you? After all, we've been waiting, just in case I have to remind you, Jesus, we've been waiting a long time for our messianic deliverer to come. And, and, and we're waiting because he's going to destroy our enemies and he's going to restore the glory of Israel. <laughs> That's us. To the place of glory and prominence that you promised and we think we deserve. After all, we're your chosen people. Isn't that the question behind the question? Will few be saved? Now you can call it pride, you could call it spiritual blindness, you could call it some kind of ethnocentric bend, in, you can call it a lot of things, but the Jews of that day had a problem, just like so many people in our world today have a problem with being prejudiced against anyone who isn't like them. If you weren't a Jew, you were out. If you were a Jew, you were in. That was the mindset of all of these people that were hanging around Jesus. And no matter how many times, in how many ways, in how many places, God made it clear in his word that his love was available to all who believed, the Jews just could not grasp it. And it's really not so different today, is it? All over the world, all over the world, it's not just, this, not just a problem in our country, all over the world, there are groups who think they are better than the other. And the minute we decide that somebody is other, we have all kinds of internal ways for making excuses for our prejudice, our pride, our dismissive treatment. Jesus isn't like that. Jesus isn't like that. That's why he brings up the stories of the Samaritans. That's why we have a Roman centurion who had greater faith than anyone else in Israel that Jesus had seen. That's why a thief on a cross has an opportunity. That's why Jesus sees everyone. There is no other in the eyesight of Jesus. Isn't that good? Because I would have been an other when I was out, but he still saw me and he saw you. And it doesn't matter what your racial background is. Um, by the way, I'm pretty convinced there's really only one race. It's called the human race. And everything else is collections of cultures and peoples and tribes and, and, and different expressions of humanity. Yet we break these things off and we like to put people down or lift people up and make sure that we are taken care of. Jesus isn't like that. So now he gives an answer to the question, but in typical Jesus fashion, he does not, it was a yes or no question, wasn't it? Will those who are saved be few? Yes or no? And his answer did not contain yes or no. But as we'll find out, the answer really is no, there will not just be few who are saved, but he, he comes at it in a different way. And he said to them in verse 24, strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, 
door closes. And you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, uh, Lord, um, I, we can't seem to get in here. I, I know the door's shut, but come on, open up. Open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. And now, an incredibly, I don't know how else to say it, but an incredibly damning statement. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. This is his answer to the man in the crowd that asks, will few be saved? So an individual asks the question, but Jesus draws the whole entire crowd into his answer. So let's, let's consider for a minute when he says, strive to enter through the narrow door. You know, we, we know as believers that we are saved by the grace of God, right? And he gives us the gift of faith by which we can respond to him and find eternal life. But Jesus says, you can't just sit there and have that happen. There is action required to enter in. And that word strive has, in the Greek has its roots in contending like in gymnastics or with an adversary in a fight. If if you had a chance to go through an open door for the whatever it was you'd always dreamed of, want, uh, of having, somebody says, come on, through the, once you get on the other side of that door, it, it is yours. And somebody tries to block your way. Are you going to say, oh, I guess I can't get in? Or will you contend with your adversary because you know that your destiny is on the other side of that door? Jesus said, strive to enter into that door. And, and, you know, these people were, were upset because they were eating and drinking to get into the door. But eating and drinking with Jesus is not what saves anyone. Listening to him teach is not what saves. Yielding to his lordship is what saves. And this does often require effort. Quick story. In 1972, God was beginning to draw on my heart. And some friends talked me into, and it was talked me into, going to an evangelistic crusade up in Rochester, New York. A guy named Leighton Ford was preaching. He's Billy Graham's brother-in-law. And Leighton Ford was preaching, and I sat up in the upper, upper, upper nosebleed sections of what we called it the War Memorial back then. It's been renamed by those that pay money to get their names on things. And there were, I don't know, maybe five, 6,000 people there. And Leighton Ford preached the gospel. And I'm sitting in the upper reaches with no intention of having anything happen to me because I was okay with God and I kind of went to church and everything. But I knew something was churning in my heart. Do you, do you remember those days? God's trying to do something. And he gave an altar call invitation to come and inquire about how to be saved. And I just looked up this morning afresh because there's some records of that crusade. And in those days that he was in Rochester, there was a total of 3,293 people who came forward to either profess faith or find out more about how to enter into eternal life. More than half of those people were teenagers. Don't tell me God can't save children and teenagers and young adults. 
He did it then, he can do it now. I was one of those teenagers, but I was not one of the 3,293. You know why? Because even though my heart was telling me, you need to go down there, you are feeling convicted, and this is uncomfortable, and God is drawing, and you know what happened? I, I looked and I said, it would take too much effort to go down all of these stairs and walk all the way across that hall in front of all of those people, and so no, I'm not going to do it tonight. I did not strive to enter through the narrow door. I had an opportunity. I had an invitation. Okay? Now, my works wouldn't have saved me, but combating the enemy that wanted to stop me would have gotten me saved probably about a year and a half earlier than, than I actually did. And so, I'll tell you what, from that time until the time I received the Lord in 1974, I was a miserable puppy, okay? Because I was under conviction, and I didn't like it. And and I was wrestling with God, and I wasn't really sure if I I didn't like the sinner label, and I didn't, but I knew that I should have gone down there. And I didn't, because I did not strive to enter the narrow door. So, just a heads up, today... When we offer the communion table and we say, if you want to seek the Lord for eternal life, if you want to come to know Jesus, there are people in the back to pray with you. I'm going to encourage you, if you're here today and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, strive to enter through the narrow door. All you've got to do is walk to the back and say, help me learn what I need to do to be saved. And there will be people back there to help you so that you could enter into eternal life Today, this could be your day, September 18th, 2022. Do not be stubborn like me. Do not be lazy like me. Do not say, oh, it's too, this, this is not too far. It's just not too far. And if you get back there and you feel like it's been too far, there's coffee and water back there to revive you. Okay? Sunagas does wonders for the soul, right? Now, why did the crowd seek to enter? The door's closed, remember? Knock, 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 knock. Knock, 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 knock. I don't know you. But we want to commit. Why? Here's the best, easy solution. They loved the party. They loved to eat and drink with Jesus. They loved hearing him teach with authority. They loved seeing him do miracles. And maybe most of all, they loved watching him put their religious leaders in their place. They liked what was happening, and they didn't want to miss out on and any more of it. They wanted to be in. Now, I suppose from their point of view, Jesus was doing everything they could have ever imagined. He was dismantling the burdensome religious system they were under. He was throwing the greatest block parties in the world. I mean, where can you go for a block party where the host keeps multiplying the food and you get to eat until you're full? Or every time you show up, some miracles. Jesus is in town. What's it going to be? Is it going to be a deliverance, a raising from the dead, a demon is going to flee, food's going to be multiplied, uh, money's going to come out of a fish's mouth? I mean, really? They wanted in on it. And they obviously thought that he was getting ready to destroy the hated Roman occupiers. After all that he'd been doing, they were sure that he'd be jumping on that white horse riding in and telling the Romans, your day is over. But Jesus, in his usual way of 
not trying to remain popular. He never read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, you know? He told them they were workers of evil. They'd partied with him. They'd ate and drank with him. They'd listened to him. They'd traveled with him. They spent their money on his show from their point of view. And he now calls them workers of evil. So what was the evil they were committing? Here, as I, I mean, we could get all theological in a hundred different ways here. But here, we, I, you could sum it up this way. People who love to be entertained by religious activity instead of loving the Lord and participating in his mission, that's evil. Or to, to make the sentence even shorter, it's evil to claim to belong to Jesus when you don't. Before I was saved, if somebody asked me if I would belong to Jesus, I would have said, yes, I do, because I thought that was the right answer. That was the answer that kind of made everything, it, it kind of greased the skid, so to speak, and kind of made everything okay. But I was doing evil by claiming to belong to him when I don't. Now let's go on and see what's going to happen. In that place, verse 28 says, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out and people will come. Can you imagine what this did to their Jewish ears? People will come from east and west and north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Now what place is this going to happen in? All of this weeping and gnashing of teeth and this horror of looking on, it's going to happen outside the kingdom. And how long will it endure? Forever. When the master closes the door, when our time on earth is done, when you pass away, Physically from this life, the door is closed. Now is the time to find Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. The invitation is given. We've got to be willing to walk through that one-way Jesus narrow door. So who's guaranteed to be in the kingdom if it's not these workers of iniquity, evildoers? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the prophets, and lots of other people. Not perfect people, but yielded people. People that said yes to the Savior. Not only that, these people come from all over the world. From every direction. From every tribe, nation, people, and language. God's plan, I know that we know this, but we want to know it again fresh today. God's plan has always been to throw the access doors to himself wide open to anyone who would go through the narrow door. And that narrow door is Jesus. So now I want to take us through some scriptures and let the Bible do the talking about who is going to be on the eternity side in the kingdom of God, eating and drinking and feasting around the table as we celebrate with Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4, 12, 
and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. See, there's no other way into the kingdom of God. There's no other way into eternal life. There's no other way into the family of God. There's no other way into attendance at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Only Jesus. And he didn't ask us if we liked that. He said it because it's truth. In his kindness, he's trying to make it clear. So, Jesus told the crowd that people will come. Now, let's look at a few places where we get an idea of whether or not few will be saved. Well, all the way back in Genesis chapter 28, here's what God said to Abraham. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and the east and the north and the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Does that kind of geographically sound like there will be some from everywhere? Psalm 107, verse 3, verses 2 and 3. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he's good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Geographically, all of the earth will be represented in the kingdom of God. Isaiah 43 Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Matthew 8. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Revelation 7, after this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And Revelation 5, and the the worship team did an incredible job this morning, and all of these songs and all of this liturgy and all of this message fit beautifully because God wants to save some people today and he wants to encourage the saved that he has purpose and destiny for us today and he wants to encourage this church to remember our roots and remember our calling and remember what we should be laboring to do for the sake of the lamb revelation 5 and they sang a new song saying by the way, this is not like top 40 you know k-love pop this is the song of the hour this is the song of songs. This is fresh upon the lips and the hearts of the redeemed. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you, Jesus, the Lamb of God, for you were slain and by your blood, by what? By his blood. Not by his signs and wonders, not by the loaves and fishes, not by the casting out of demons, not by all of those things were, were indicators of his divinity. But by his blood, Jesus, you redeemed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Now, it's clearly true that there will be many on the outside looking in. 
it's also true that God will have a people to present as a bride for his son. And that group will be very large and very diverse. Okay? If you were to do like some math Venn diagram fancy kind of stuff. Anybody here love mathematics? That was my assumption. (laughs) How many like recess? (laughs) Okay. Lunchtime. Okay, even more hands go up. Okay, we we got the... (laughs) Okay. Oh my goodness, I'm going to forget. If you were to overlay all of this, here's what you get. There will be people from every tribe and nation and people and language, every possible expression of humanity, and they will come from the north and the south and the east and the west, every possible geographic location on earth. I don't know about you, but someplace early in my Christian days, something stuck in me a little bit, went like this. Oh, most of humanity will, will reject Jesus, and probably only a few, like us, will really be saved. I don't know if you've ever thought like that. I probably thought like that. Or, you know, there's a danger that whole denominations could think like that. If you asked a lot of people what kind of people will be saved, you might get the Baptists saying, well, we will be because we think we're more right. And then you're going to get some other, well, wait a minute, what about it? Well, you're wrong in this thing and that thing. And Well, who decided? We did. <laughs> and we've got to be really careful about that stuff. Jesus could care less about the name on the door. He is not impressed with denominational branding. He's impressed with what is branded on our hearts. If it says King of Kings and Lord of Lords on the throne, then that's Jesus. If this church is submitted to him and surrendered to his lordship and we will do what he wants done, that's the church that Jesus can use. The name on the door means nothing if the Lord doesn't live on the heart on that throne. We okay with that? We're going to be, I I sincerely believe, we are going to be shocked when we see who God let into heaven. (laughs) Oh no, there's some of those Pentecostals. They just came in and their feet haven't touched the clouds yet. (laughs) You know? Oh, oh, there's some of those Lutherans over there. And, and oh, look at them. They went 10 paces in, then they turned to the right, and they did something, and then they stood up, and they moved over this way, then they did something. Uh, and Jesus let people like that in? And all the while, he's probably chuckling. So, well, I let you in. I guess I better let them in. The tribes and nations and peoples and languages and geography doesn't rule it, but it clearly, there will be many, a multitude at the wedding supper of the Lamb. And I think that God has to reorient our, not just our thinking, but our expectations. As we get closer to the end of the age, we can have a mindset that we're going we're gonna to cling and hang on till Jesus comes. And I've been in some churches where most of the people I was preaching to were elderly, and if we had rocking chairs instead of the seats, They would have been more comfortable. And I said, if you're sitting in your rocking chair waiting for Jesus to come, burn your rocking chair and get busy. Because he wants to save people. He wants to redeem the lost. How many of you have seen the t-shirt that says, make heaven crowded? Is that good theology? I think so. Does Jesus want heaven crowded? Sure. 
Now, will there be a multitude that say no? Of course, and we know that. And they'll be cast out, and that's what hell is for. And and they'll be on the outside looking in, and they won't know the love of God, and they're going to miss out for all of eternity. But heaven will have people in it, not just a few. And as we hurtle through history towards the end of the age, which every day we're one step closer to the end of the age, if we are willing and turn our expectations from hang on till we get out of here to let's be bold and preach the gospel and see every possible person come in, I think we can see a revival and a harvest that we have not seen even in our lifetimes. And in case you're not in touch with it, here's, here's, really, here's, here's a reality globally. And it would take... Lots of other messages to give you all the statistics. Globally, we are in the middle of the greatest revival that human history has ever known. There are people coming to faith by the thousands every single day. And some of them are coming to faith from Hindu cultures. Where they take Jesus as Lord. Doesn't mean they have to change the clothes they put on or the food that they eat. They have to change the Lord in their heart. Some are being saved from Buddhist cultures, and some are being saved from Muslim cultures, and some are being saved from under the guise of communism. The more, the, the, the harder the communist government tries to stamp the church out, the faster the church grows, because the embers spread. You can't stamp out the church. The only thing that can hinder this is our apathy. If we expect, if we expect great things from God. And if we attempt to do the great things that God asks us to do, that's a William Carey quote, by the way, okay? God will do it. He has asked us to be his messengers, and he has said he will be with us as we go, being his evangelists, his messengers. Incredible things can happen in these last days. Yeah, our country's a mess. And you know what? I'd still rather live here than any country on earth unless we get to complaining anymore about how big a mess it is. You know, it, we have got the liberty to share the gospel and nobody can really stop us. God will have a representative diversity in heaven, a multitude that nobody is going to be able to count. The world system may be trying to hijack and define what diversity is, okay? But God will have the final word on words. Diversity is God's idea. The world will take a back seat, and Jesus will save from every expression of humanity in all of the corners of the earth. We are a representation, and we have a mandate. We have a mission We have a calling. We have an obligation to go and make sure everybody possible also hears there is a narrow door, but you can enter it, and God wants you in his family. So let's talk about, in summary, who will be in the kingdom? People from the north and the south and the east and the west who enter through Jesus the narrow door. People from every tribe and nation and people and language who enter through Jesus the narrow door. That's who's going to be in the kingdom. That's a lot of people in the kingdom. 
Now, who will not be in the kingdom? People from the north, south, east, and west who refuse to enter through Jesus the narrow door. People from tribes and nations and peoples and languages who refuse to enter through Jesus the narrow door. Jesus, as he looks down upon the earth, I won't go there. Another message. Jesus sees all of these kinds of human beings and longs and weeps and intercedes and prays that we will go out with an eye to see every possible soul saved while there is still the light of day. I want you to listen before we transition to the communion table to our text one more time from the message version. Just, if you just close your eyes a second, just don't fall asleep on me. He went on teaching from town to village, village to town, but keeping on a steady course toward Jerusalem. And a bystander said, Master, will only a few be saved? And he said, whether few or many is none of your business. Put your mind on your life with God. The way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires your total attention. A lot of you are going to assume that you'll sit down to God's salvation banquet just because you've been hanging around the neighborhood all your lives. Well, one day you're going to be banging on the door wanting to get in, but you'll find the door locked and the master saying, sorry, you're not on the guest list. And you'll protest, but we've known you all our lives, only to be interrupted with his abrupt, your kind of knowing can hardly be called knowing. You don't know the first thing about me. And that's when you'll find yourselves out in the cold, strangers to grace. You'll watch Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets march into God's kingdom. And you'll watch outsiders stream in from the east and west and north and south. And sit down at the table of God's kingdom. And all the time you'll be on the outside looking in, wondering what happened. This is the great reversal. The last in line, put at the head of the line, and the so-called first, ending up last. Brothers and sisters, I don't want that to happen to anybody that's here today. And I don't want that to happen to anyone that I or we have opportunity to touch. It also almost happened to me, because I tried to get involved in church life to get Jesus off my back. That sounds pretty ignorant, doesn't it? I got involved in all kinds of churchy activities, hoping that the conviction that I needed a Lord would go away. But it didn't. It actually only got magnified until the day that I yielded. And I encourage you today to yield. Now, we're going to transition to the table in a minute. This incredible opportunity that we have in this country to freely out in the open, with no fear of people bursting in, this incredible opportunity to partake of this wonderful, wonderful meal together. You see, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus blessed the bread and he took it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Think about that a second. Without the breaking of his body, without the piercings on the cross, we would not 
be in his family. We would not have access to the face of the Father. We would not have forgiveness. And he took the cup. And he said, this represents the new covenant, not just any old new covenant, but the new covenant in my blood, he said. Whenever you eat or drink, do it in remembrance of him, he said. That we are proclaiming his death until he returns. Not a goody-goody Jesus, not a jackpot in the sky, heavenly father, not a... uh, you know, win the lottery if you come to faith in Jesus, but a savior who had to bleed and die on two sticks of wood with nails through his body parts in order for you and I to have access. That's the narrow door. And the invitation today is, if you are a baptized believer and Jesus lives on the throne of your heart, we invite you forward to partake of this meal as we celebrate together, breaking off a piece of the bread, dipping it in the cup, We'll have two lines and with gluten-free available over here. If you are not a follower of Christ Jesus, I've got an obligation to say, this is not for you. But with a few simple steps or the bowing of your knees and your heart where you're at, you can enter the family of God today. If you feel like you're in this place and you don't get it, like what are these people so happy about? Why do they want to be, why do they never go home after church is over? (laughs) Because we're family and we've been brought near by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Amen. So the invitation for believers is to come. The invitation, if you want to join that family, is go. Go find somebody in the back to pray with you and say, I want to know Jesus. I want to join a family. I want to be on the right side of the narrow door for all of eternity. Let's pray together. Lord, this is an incredible moment. As your word makes clear to us that there's a door through which we may enter and find eternal life or we may stand outside of and live eternally separated from you. And for some in this room today, we are going to freshly remember our salvation experience. And for some in this room today, I pray that by the grace and the conviction and the power of God, there would be new life, that salvation would come and visit us today in this room in this sacred moment. We thank you for the power of the blood of the Lamb to wash us clean, to forgive us, to grant us eternal life. Jesus, we say thank you, and we say you are Lord.